Well, good morning and happy, can you say happy Good Friday? <laughs> what is this? I have a very small bladder. <laughs> you do. That has nothing to do with Good Friday. Well. Yeah. yeah. Lorraine and Jane, good morning. Yeah. Um, oh, Wichita, very fun. Colorado. We're headed there crazy. in a couple weeks. Montrose, Colorado, Ricky Barlow. Seattle. Man. Um, why don't you text Tim and see if there's a way that we can rotate the phone? Because it's so narrow like this. If it was just one of us, it would be easily doable. I think but when I, you tried doing it, it said no. It did before. Okay. So um, maybe he'll know some way, or maybe it's impossible. Okay. All yeah. right, done. Yeah. Oh, Ricky. Um, Jennifer, Chicago. Oh my gosh. Is man. it still winter there, Jennifer? It's always winter in Chicago. It's like Narnia. Good. Well, oh my gosh, from Finland. Oh, how cool. That is really Pekka. cool. Good, well, I was going to say good morning, but it's not good morning where you are. No, no, but lots going on in that part of the world. We'll leave it. Clip, uh, otherwise, you yeah. can just leave it. No, we're going to leave it. Well, for those of you that are on here early, um, maybe some of you had the same thing growing up, my grandmother would always tell me mm -hmm. on Good Friday that if it was sunny in the morning, that by noon it would always be cloudy for the afternoon. And interestingly enough, in LA it was often the case, but I think mostly she meant it to remind us that those three hours in the afternoon of Good Friday were the hours Jesus hung on the cross. And even at my age now, I still think of Gladys saying that to me mm -hmm. every Good Friday. It's so funny because my grandmother, Goldie, really? who lived with us, would say, say the, the same, same thing. thing. It must have been kind of a thing. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think meteorologically it would be yeah, accurate. Probably but, not accurate. Uh, but metaphorically lovely. Mm -hmm, yep. And that sense that somehow creation is tied up with the big story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Jane Summer is in Belize. Oh, that's where wow. Jaguar Creek is. It's what's, a cold what's Jaguar? What's Jaguar Creek? That's Roy Goebbels' um, oh, education. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, facility down there. Los yeah. Angeles, home base for me. Love it, Daniel. It's great. Mm. Well, we will start pretty soon. Do you get anything else you need to do before we get rolling? No, well, why don't you say something interesting? <laughs> <laughs> if I say interesting things now, I'll be out of interesting things to say oh, I when doubt we that. actually start and everybody's oh, I doubt around. That. Uh, I doubt that. Uh, we could give some bonus material. We're going to be putting together a little Easter egg hunt for our grandson this afternoon. Uh, yep. It'll be very fun. Yep. Little Easter eggs full of Cheez-Its and peanut M&Ms. Mm -hmm. So hopefully he will be happy with those. Yes. Yep. And it's kind of a cool family time. Nancy's mom is actually out. And um, all right. Oh, Holly, so Nashville. Good to see you. All right, so we are now live. Uh, put that behind it. Yeah. Well, but if I put it behind it, then yeah. I can't drink it. Well, so that doesn't work. Well, you can pour uh, it in my tea. Are you done with your tea? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. I'll get a new glass. Yeah. No, I'll get another. Okay. There you go. All right. Uh, our um, friend and partner Tim Williams, who is like at the core of everything going on with this. 
um, has figured out how to make it possible to go live on Facebook. And so it's really fun to see um, people join in with a uh, pretty global audience. And now we got folks coming Hi, on live on YouTube as well. Cousin oh, Sherry, it's wonderful Kara. to see your voice. Oh man. Larry, thank you. Yep. Really glad that all of you could join us. Oh, uh, Becky. Oh. Yep. Oh, uh, the Georges. Alan and Merrill in Oklahoma. That's so cool. Oh my gosh, Mark and Ellie from Elkie from Portugal. Oh, holy Hi, smokes. Nancy. Love you, Nance. Um, yep, uh, Mark, we used to get to work together back at Menlo and... Um, Elkie was my hairdresser and yeah. she was amazing. They are launching an extension of Fellowship of the Withered Hand in Portland. <laughs> Portugal. Is, Portugal, yeah, yeah, that's right. Portugal, Portland, it's all the same. Um, well, I want to say hi to everybody that's joining us. We're actually officially starting now. And I'm so, so glad to be able to experience this time on Good Friday with all of you. Um, when you preach, holidays are an interesting thing and it can be a challenge. I remember Lee Strobel at our old church in Chicago used to say he always ended up preaching on Palm Sunday. And so first it was Palm Sunday from Jesus' perspective, and then the next year it was from the disciples' perspective, and then it was the crowd, and then it ended up being like the donkey. He was just running out of, <laughs> what do you do with Palm Sunday? And so I thought today, as we think together about um, Good Friday and the mystery and the wonder of Jesus and the cross, uh, we would just make it more personal. Nancy and I have a little book. We're coming to you from our cabana right now <laughs> in Los Gatos, and this little brown book, lots of you are in it. Um, although you kind of don't want to be, this is for uh, needs that human capacity are insufficient to meet and where we really need God. And uh, that kind of gets to Good, good Friday hope. And, um, uh, you know, when you, when you face a situation where it's not just you have something you'd like to have happen and you're optimistic that it might, um, when something bad has happened, pain has come and you can't fix it, and you can't go backwards in time to rearrange things, and your only hope is to depend that God is gonna be able to bring redemption, that's Good Friday hope. Mm -hmm. And so, Nancy had kind of a cool idea. We thought if you want to, uh, you could write in the chat, um, what is an area where you need Good Friday hope? Um, what's something in your past that was painful, maybe it's still painful and you can't fix it. And your hope is that God will uh, bring good out of it. And uh, so if you want to, you can just type that in the chat. Um, I don't know if there's a way of doing that with our Facebook group or not. Um, if there is, Tim, you can let us know and we can say that. But then- Or something that you're facing right now. That's true. Yeah. Yep, something that you're in the middle of right now where you need Good Friday hope. And we thought, um, as that comes up, uh, if I'm talking, Nance will interrupt me maybe to read a few of them. Um, interruptions is Nancy's love language. When, I'm good at it. When I first started to preach, this is a true story, Nancy would sit in the front row of the church, and if she disagreed with my version of any story, she would just raise her hand like that so the whole church would know that I was lying in her eyes. So... Um, 
Yeah, she does not hesitate to interrupt. And um, she can name some of those. And it may be as those come up on the screen, if you look at them, um, one of them will grab your heart. And you can pray for that. Yeah. Pray for that person that you may not know and you may never know the outcome of it, but a good Friday prayer for them would be a lovely gift. So I want to read a little passage from C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, as we think together about Good Friday and what makes a Good Friday and what is it that Jesus was doing on the cross and how is it that that can bring hope to all of us. This is actually from an article written by a real good friend who may be on today, Mark Nelson, um, called Redeeming the Time. Adult children, food addiction, Mm. um, marriage restoration, sibling uh, estrangement. Yep, yep, ache with you. Um, Mm. Our son. Glad to meet you in the place of reality and pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the Good Friday place. That's where Jesus undergoes suffering together with us on the cross. And somehow that's our hope. Brain cancer, MS, loneliness, child uh, abuse. Uh, Just the honesty and the pain there, mm-hmm. um, I think will prompt all of us to pray for you guys today. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, in, in the book, The Great Divorce, as you might know, it's kind of an allegory or a parable of um, what might like in hell, what might life in hell be like or in heaven be like. And there's so much we don't understand. And here's part of what Lewis writes in it. And this, <laughs> sorry, um, helps me to think about time and hope and what Jesus was doing on the cross. Uh, you cannot understand your, you cannot in your present state understand eternity, this character in The Great Divorce says. But you can get some likeness of it if you say that both good and evil, when they are full grown, become retrospective, somehow reach back into the past and somehow alter it. Not only this valley, but all the earthly past will have been heaven to those who are saved. Not only the twilight in that town, the people that come up to the mountains of heaven are from this little gray, dingy twilight town. Not only the twilight of that town, but all their life on earth too will then be seen by the damned to have been hell. This is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future joy could ever make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards. And that's the little phrase I want to think about. We'll work, heaven works backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And of some sinful pleasure, they say, let me just have this and I'll take the consequences. Little dreaming how damnation will spread back and back into the past and contaminate the pleasure of the sin. Both processes begin even before death. The good person's past begins to change so that their forgiven sins and remembered sorrows take on the quality of heaven. The bad person's past already conforms to their badness and is filled only with that dreariness. And that is why at the end of all things, when the sun rises here and the twilight turns to blackness down there, the blessed will say, 
we have never lived anywhere except in heaven. And the lost will say, we were always in hell, and both will speak truly. Somehow, heaven will work backwards. Somehow, what Jesus is doing in the cross when he leaves eternity and enters into human suffering and sin and death is allowing heaven to work backwards and to redeem even the past. And I know for us, um, uh, when we really hit a hard time a few years ago, initially it felt to me like uh, that pain, that difficulty was an interruption of my calling and I just wanted to get past it so I could get back to normal life and back to calling. And what was really helpful was to come to realize, um, no, uh, this hard time is my calling. It's exactly what my calling is. And my calling is to be a father precisely in this situation, even in estrangement, and to be not a pastor, but an ex-pastor, and to find a way to embrace that. That is where I find God. And uh, that's all part of uh, what the cross expresses in a way that nothing else could. And what looked like the ultimate interruption of Jesus' calling, what looked like the end and failure and destruction of his calling, was actually the most important and deepest part of his calling. And in some strange way, it works backwards and it brings hope even to those parts of our past that seem most hopeless. Yeah. When you were talking right now, too, it just brings me back to the passage in John 21 that I've lived in for so many years now where Jesus says to Peter, somebody's going to lead you to where you do not want to go. And that was certainly, Jesus said that to Peter knowing that he had just had to do that. And with Good Friday, one of the thoughts I had is it's the kind of name we give to that day that they would never have given to it on that day. And the hope in the term Good Friday really comes from a look backwards. We think of hope as always being a future anticipation and a forward look, and a lot of it is. But there's also a kind of hope that you get in the rearview mirror when you look back and you see that in the midst of horror and unimaginable pain, where it felt all bleak to you, that there was still hope that God was working, and that's the name Good Friday. I want to read to you just two paragraphs from a good friend of ours, Mark Nelson, who wrote in an article about the pieces of our lives that over time uh, come together in hope. And he writes this about when two of his daughters were little, they had not yet had their third. But he talks about um, this in the context of, the, of hope. I am the father of two small children. And like most parents, I am constantly aware of the new dimensions of vulnerability opened up by having children. I am aware every day of the dozens of ways in which they can be hurt and I am haunted by the fragility of the human life and health I see in them. I am especially haunted by the live possibility of human wickedness and cruelty, which may break in on my children despite my best efforts mm. to see that they are cared for, loved, and protected. Mm. Most nights after they are asleep, I tiptoe into their bedroom, make the sign of the cross over there, and bless them in the words of Moses. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I hope and pray that they will be kept safe, not from the cuts and scrapes or even broken bones, not from the schoolyard snubs and jeers, but from crushing pain and disability, from premature death, and especially from the wicked who prey on the weak and defenselessness. 
And then this paragraph is the turning. Maybe my daughters will make it through this life in one piece without major suffering or loss, but I suspect they will not. If nothing else, the odds seem against it. Yet, even if the unlikely happens and both my daughters live to the ends of long, happy, and productive lives, even then it is too late. It is too late because other children mm -hmm. of other parents have already been crushed under poverty, disease, and human wickedness. And these children are no less valuable than my own. And not just children have been crushed, but adults too. Since the beginning of human existence, countless millions have already lived lives worse than Dostoevsky's worst nightmares. And if I'm honest with myself, I have to admit, I cannot look this fact in the face for very long. And that hope beyond the confines of my small life is not enough. Hope in the face of devastation, horror, and the unimaginable things that happen. It can't be hope unless it can stand up to these things. And that's the hope in Good Friday, that what seemed to be the end of something promising was actually the beginning and the stirring of a new life that was coming forward that had the power of the kind of hope that we long for. So a uh, couple of other prayers uh, for Chris Chandler to mm. embrace this season of your mm. life, Chris. Uh, we love we, you, Chris. Yep, we are so deeply with you. Um, Israel Rosales, uh, mm. you have been through so much, but you want prayers for your son. So Just watching for you guys praying for each other, too, is so moving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so grateful to see that sense of um, community together. Patty, uh, through... Uh, in marriage, 28 years of your husband suffering from Parkinson's and being in long-term care and holding on to hope. We are so deeply with you. Um, one of the books that I've mentioned several times has been so helpful to me in this season is Eleanor Stump's book, Wandering in Darkness. And uh, she has a passage about Mary Magdalene and suffering and brokenheartedness and what Jesus brings to that that was super powerful. And so I wanted to read this for you also. She writes, there is a special kind of pain in watching someone whom you love in agony and being helpless to help them. And uh, a lot of you know that, and we know that too. It is a special agony. This must have been what Mary Magdalene suffered at the death of Jesus. The Gospels report that when Jesus was crucified, she was there watching. Mary Magdalene loved Jesus enough to brave being present at his crucifixion when most of the others who had followed him had fled. And by the way, all the men had fled. Only women left. Well, that's for another episode. <laughs> I'm sure it is. His agony must have been an agony for her. Gospel stories report her both as near him and also as at some distance from him, maybe near enough to see and hear, but far enough away not to be close. At any rate, the comfort of being able to give him any comfort was not available to her. It must have been heartbreaking for her. In these circumstances, she forms a plan. She watches till he is taken down from the cross and she marks where they put his dead body she gathers the necessary things and waits as she must till the time is right and the coast is clear. Then she goes to his tomb to anoint him. If she could not comfort him in his dying, she can anoint his body after his death. 
it must have been her heart's desire to do so. And a lot of this book, a lot of our lives is about the fact that we have a heart's desire, something we hope for more than anything. How much she had her heart in that plan is shown by her reaction to its failure. When she came to the tomb and found his body missing, she wept hard. And in all of the gospels, uh, an angel or angels come to her. Uh, and Eleanor writes, uh, the, the angel's message doesn't help her. Mm. She doesn't cheer up. Uh, there is no other biblical story in which angelic visits have so little impact on the person being visited. In her brokenheartedness over not being able to anoint the body of Jesus, Mary Magdalene brushes off even angels. And then Jesus appears to her. To her first, of all the people close to him, before the apostles, before his family, before his mother. Mary, he says to her. And she recognize him, recognizes him in the saying of her name. In that electric moment, in that presence of each to the other, her weeping ends. Her heartbreak at his death is over and her heart's desire to anoint him, so pain-filled in its formulation, falls away. What she wanted to anoint his dead body is so small by comparison with what she has. She has him. And she has him gloriously. Who could fail to miss his love for her? Neither she nor anyone else in her community. That's the answer. The whole community, apostles, disciples, family, first learn that Jesus is still present among them from her report of her experience of him. The story also shows us that there is more than one kind of brokenheartedness mm. that can afflict us. When Mary Magdalene weeps because she cannot find the dead body of Jesus, what matters to her matters only because she has her heart set on this. She wanted to anoint his dead body. She weeps because she cannot find the dead body of Jesus. The loss of his dead body is not the loss of him. She lost him when he died. In other words, there's the heartbreak that comes when a person loses something of great value. The life of someone she loves, for example. But there is also heartbreak when she loses what matters only because she wants it so badly. You have a dream, you have a hope, you have a plan, and you lose it. That also is heartbreak. In the world of the story from Mary Magdalene, in the presence of the loving beloved, heartbreak of both kinds is redeemed in love. It is, isn't it? And then Eleanor writes, no, someone may think, there is no redemption of her suffering in this story. Mary Magdalene's gladdening reunion of Jesus only because she has restored to her what caused her great suffering when it was taken away. But it would have been much better if it had never been taken away in the first place. She would have been better off if Jesus had never suffered and died. She gains nothing in consequence of her suffering that she did not have before. And so her life without that suffering would have been better. In the story, her suffering is for nothing. Some people would argue that's the case. What does it take to redeem suffering, to defeat evil? It is not always easy to say in the abstract. How are we to discuss this question? What looks perplexingly blank in the abstract 
as handholds for our thoughts when we think about the question in connection with the story. In the world of this story, perhaps it is not so difficult. In the end, Mary Magdalene herself would prefer her life with the suffering in it if she would be unwilling to lose what the loss of the suffering would take from her. If that is true, then for her, the suffering is surely redeemed. And that's the promise that somehow Friday, which was awful Friday when it happened, which was cursed dark Friday, after the resurrection became Good Friday, that heaven works backwards. So now there's great hope for you and for us that uh, what looks bleak, what humanly speaking cannot be redeemed, what rips your heart out, uh, loss, estrangement, death itself, is all somehow in the providence of God, in the mystery of the cross, that which can yet be redeemed. And a God who thought it would be a great idea to share that with us so that we would know we're not alone. I think for me, one of the holiest parts of this morning is multitasking, and that is listening <laughs> listening to words, hopefully that bring hope, and then watching this thread yeah. of not only heartbreaks, but you praying for each other, for Bonnie, a husband leaving her and then getting diagnosed with cancer 23 days later. Like, How do you find God in that? And you're finding it right here. And um, for Gilbert... I remember the first time you and I met and oh, you showed gosh. me a video of your wife's funeral and now you're navigating adult children and Randy Pierce, your kind words and just watching this community listen and get hope from hopefully what we're saying, but also with each other. Um, it's just lovely. This is Good Friday. So uh, be with Jesus today at the cross and, um, and get ready for Easter and hope. We have a really, really strange ritual. I've never talked about this. I'm not sure why I'm doing it right I'm now. I'm sure you should. <laughs> but it's a little liturgy that Nancy developed with her friend Sue. Susie Q. Um, that kind of confuses a bunch of different stories and the way the kids are always super excited to get up on Christmas morning, that the Easter Bunny is really excited to get up on Easter and Jesus says to the Easter Bunny, it's too early. It's too early, Bunny. <laughs> oh, come back later. And for some reason that always comes up on Easter morning. And to think of what must it have been like for Jesus on that Easter morning that it was not too early. And that uh, on Sunday, it's not just Sunday was changed. Friday was changed. Uh, Friday was redeemed. Heaven works backwards. And that it's possible that it it wasn't just Good Friday. That uh, because of the cross, because... He was willing to take on himself all of the sin and the guilt and the suffering and the heartbreak. When we look back at our lives, it will have been good Monday and good. That Monday will be a good Monday. And in the middle of that today, in the middle of the pain listed here on the side, it is okay and good to have joy. And many of you taught me that during these last couple years. So embrace the joy that comes your way. It doesn't in any way diminish the pain that you're feeling but it's that thread of hope that says this too will be redeemed yep and and it coexists right alongside of the pain yeah 
and the hurt and the heartbreak of that which is of great value and also that which is just your heart's desire and that you have lost and that is shattering. Mm -hmm. And in some strange way Mark that we Demel. don't understand, um, Mark Demel, I just talked to uh, uh, a friend who's now heading up Renovare who yeah. talked about what a joy it's been to work together with you. Uh, somehow, even in this life, I had lunch yesterday with a pastor friend and we were just talking through family things. We meet each other in a deeper place when we meet in the honest acknowledgement of our sorrows and our heartbreaks and our loss and our failures and our sin. Somehow we meet in a deeper place yes. there than if we just met in the triumph. And it's not just the empty tomb, it is first the cross and the empty tomb, and they're somehow together. And our hope and prayer, and we will be part of this, is show up at church this Sunday. Man, first yeah. first Easter in a couple of years where yep. we can be there, be together. Get your butt out of bed. <laughs> it's Go. not too early, buddy. <laughs> yep. And um, so we will be, we will be at um, Westgate. We will be. In Los Gatos and uh, rejoicing in the good news yeah. and bringing our pain and look forward to seeing you there, knowing that you will be there. Um, thank you so much. You do much, not know. Much love to you guys. Don't know much what you love. mean to us. So yeah. God bless you on this Good Friday.